everyone, and welcome to Happy Hour at Bland. I'm Kaylee. And I'm Ashley. And happy Tuesday, Kaylee. Hi, happy Tuesday. Well, it is officially fall now, and I have to circle back to our last podcast when I made fun of you for having your <laughs> pumpkin spice latte, because it was not fall yet. But I do have to confess, I did have my pumpkin drink last week, and it was pretty fantastic. Yay, I'm glad you came around. I knew you would. I, knew I know. You would. So I'm legitimately basic now. Give me all the fun yes. things. <laughs> the floodgates have opened. I know. Like, I guess this week I'm headed to Vallis Pumpkin Patch twice. Once with my family tomorrow <laughs> and then once with my son's daycare. So I fun. do love me some fall. Yes. Good. I'm glad you've turned the corner. I have. <laughs> okay. Well, today we have our talented guest and leader, Dr. Jeremy Wartman. But before we officially introduce him, like every episode, I'd like to get us started with our quote. So, great leaders don't set out to be a leader. They set out to make a difference. It's never about the role, always about the goal. Oh, I like that. It's all about your intentions, and that'll eventually kind of pay off if you, if you really have a good intention in the first place. As Ashley mentioned, we have Dr. Jeremy Wartman, and he has a pretty impressive resume, so I'm going to do my best to introduce him. He has more than 20 years of experience in organization and leadership development. He has extensive knowledge of organizational psychology and has had great success in developing strategies and programs that build better individuals and organizations using a strengths-based approach. Jeremy attended the University of Nebraska, where he earned his PhD in organizational behavior, leadership, and organizational development, as well as a master's in business administration. He holds undergraduate degrees in economics and human resources. Jeremy, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, we're, we're excited to have you on. So one thing that we do with all of our guests is we like to have just an impromptu icebreaker, really get to know you. So this is a very thought-provoking question. Who is your favorite Disney hero or heroine, and would you trade places with them? Oh, my goodness. I go to Disney World a lot. Never really thought about it. <laughs> I know. It's kind of hard. Seriously, it doesn't need to be this, this challenging. <laughs> Hmm. You've literally stumped me, Kayla. <laughs> we might have to come back to it. You can think about yeah. it. <laughs> Who's your favorite character in your life? What's your favorite Disney movie? All of the animated ones. I watched those things. <laughs> Little Mermaid was my favorite forever. <laughs> that was my dad's favorite, too. Not well, comparing funny. you to my dad. I'm just saying that was his favorite. <laughs> Although I appreciated Aladdin too. The genie, Robin Williams, did such an awesome job at that. I just absolutely yeah. love it too. That's true. Mine was yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Nice. Yeah, that's tough. So because there's just so many good choices. I think it's hard to pinpoint one. Mm-hmm. I do love Disney though. Their whole vision of creating magic. And that's why we keep going back all the time. They really know what their mm-hmm. vision is and they hire people that really, it's not about the money. They're not a high paying employer. It's mm-hmm. about finding people who are passionate about acting and creating this environment. And it's like, that's why we keep going back. That's I've awesome. I've been once, yes, it is once. I've been there once and it's really awesome. Uh, went to a conference once in Florida actually. And they were, t- uh, one of the people that do the training there was there speaking about how, you know, 
to be an employee there, you have to follow all these rules because you have to set an expectation to work there. And it's amazing. There's an actual book on it. I can't remember what it's called, but it's amazing. Well, good. Okay. Well, let's get started. We've come up with some questions and we should preface our firm works very closely with Dr. Wortman. He's helped us in a number of different areas and we'll cover some of those today. Some we won't talk about. We could probably have multiple episodes, but all the different things Dr. Wortman has introduced to our firm. Ashley and I both have benefited from these things. And so it's just, we're excited to have him and, and talk through some things today. And so getting to our first question, I was able to attend a leadership conference last year and Dr. Wortman was the speaker. And one of the things that we did at the conference was audit our firm's talent management strategy. And for our listeners, you'll remember we had Jeremy Volk from our firm and Megan Geisinger from HR on to talk about Bland's talent management strategy. And what we mean when we say talent management is um, acquiring staff, onboarding, retention, development. So there's really a lot of different facets underneath that talent management strategy phrase. And so Dr. Roman, can you talk about, just in general, because maybe some of our listeners don't have a fully developed talent management strategy but can you talk about why it's important to audit your company's hiring and retention practices and, and how someone would even go about starting that? Yeah, and I would probably agree that, you know, most of the listeners don't have one because the statistic says 80% of organizations in the United States don't have a formal talent management strategy. But when you ask these business leaders how important their people are to their company's success, they all tell me it's absolutely critical. So I think that's, a, even though it's a sad number, it's an awesome number saying there's a huge opportunity staring a lot of people in their face. Mm -hmm. So, and this has actually definitely happened more. It was always important before the COVID crisis, but even more so since companies are like, you know what, we really need to be more intentional about the people side of our business and make sure we really are hiring and retaining people that build and maintain that culture we say is so important to us. So I've been getting a lot more phone calls on all of that stuff. So yeah, what you saw sure. um, at our leadership conference was a talent management model that I had created myself. There are lots of talent management models that exist out there, but I think they're a little over-engineered. So I created a more simple one, and that's the one I use with your guys' firms and with other you know organizations I work with. And basically, um, it's important for you to do this because um, organizations are telling me that it's more important to find people who match your culture than it is necessarily about their expertise and technical fit. We're not saying those elements aren't important in the selection process, but for long-term success with an organization, we need to be assessing for talent and culture fit. So mm -hmm. what we need to do is we need to go through each of these domains of the talent management model to see what are we doing and what aren't we doing, right? There's a lot of active ingredients that are going on within organizations, but they haven't ever been put together in a map, if you will, to kind of tell that story. And so once you kind of get all of these disparate HR activities mapped to this model, then they can do like a gap analysis to say, okay, how do these compare to practices? And then which ones are we doing that we should keep doing? What are the things we're doing that we should stop? And then that will help us achieve hopefully our business goals. So that's how simple it is. It's just, you know, either adopting my model or another model that's out there and comparing your own um, practices against that and then use that data to create the relevant plan for your organization. And so how do you start it? You email me or Bland for the model 
and or you just go out to the internet you search talent management models find one that you like and just kind of do a little you know data collection and then have the conversation yeah so you've talked about like going on to google and you, you can simply do a, a google search but if you're going to share one to two tips for acquiring talent that you think are most important what would you say they would be oh absolutely you got to use a talent assessment um you know most organizations don't objectively assess for talent and culture fit in the selection process. Um, but yet again, they're telling us how important that is. But when, when they do try to assess for that talent and culture fit, it's done very subjectively. And it's just a lot of guesswork. So let's take the guesswork out of the process. You've got to use a validated talent assessment, like what we use in your firm, to create mm -hmm. job model as based upon this position in this unique culture, here's the talent profile you're looking for. And once we create that job model, then we can use the talent assessment and administer that to all the candidates to see, okay, who fits talent wise? And we can let data help us make better hiring and selection decisions. So that's, that's my number one tip for, for organizations. You gotta use science to bring objectivity to a very subjective process. It seems like it's a lot more work for the businesses on the back end, but potentially in a long term, it's better off for the businesses to find out who matches their talent um, internally, you know, so that it can mesh with the mold. Yeah, I like to say hire harder so that you can manage easier. And I've literally had a client who has this talent, a subscription to this talent system that I use. And um, he called me up, he's like, Jeremy, I've got this really technical job available. There's only two people in the St. Louis metropolitan area that could probably do the job. This one guy is high, applied for it. Can you look at the job model, look at his profile and tell me if he fits or not? And the guy just didn't fit. And I go, if you have the luxury of time, I'd hold out for better talent. And he goes, Jeremy, this is reality, man. I got to get the work done. I'm like, it's your business. You can hire who you want. So he hires the guy and I call him up three months later. I'm like, how's it going with the system? Yada, yada. And he goes, um, love it. It's great. I, you know, I, we're only 20 people, but I, I pull up somebody's profile every day. I read about them. I read about the same person multiple times. I still learn something new about them. I love it. Oh, by the way, Jeremy, the guy you told me not to hire, I had to fire, right? The guy was technically amazing. So good. He had the right experience, but just didn't fit culturally. And he actually did more harm than good. He, he ticked a lot of people off. And so, yeah, do the upfront work and use the science. Mm -hmm potentially save you a lot of headaches and money. You know, turnover is expensive. The HR mm -hmm. rule of thumb is it costs 150% of a person's first year's annual compensation to have them turn over. Uh, you know, a few bucks on a talent assessment system can save you 75 to 100 grand just like that. Yeah, no, I, since we've implemented it at Bland, it's been awesome to be a part of it and see kind of the fruits of the labor as these, these staff that we did hire using this model now are in, they're working, they fit just perfectly with the culture. And so it's just really cool to see all of that hard work on the front end come to fruition. So, so Jeremy, in terms of talent retention, you know, things are crazy right now with coronavirus and people working from home. And it's kind of funny when we were just talking about Disney World at the beginning of this episode and how the employees love to work there and it makes us wanna go there. And right now with everyone working from home, it's, it's what, even what is our firm's culture when everyone is in their own location. And can you, can you talk a little bit about what companies can do to get a pulse on their staff and, and 
and proactive, proactively identifying potential departures, especially right now where everyone's so spread out. Yeah, this is um, one area that I'm passionate about too is I dread the day that your A or B players comes to your office, Kaylee, and says, here's my two weeks notice, mm -hmm. right? Me too. <laughs> I love Blaine and you guys worked so hard to create this amazing culture and, you know, do this talent management stuff. Um, but what I see with most firms is the, the person comes in to give their notice. And then it's only at that point in time where some, the, the manager says, well, what can I do to keep you around? What do you need from me? It's so reactive. So my two biggest tips, there's lots of things we can do to proactively retain talent, but here are the two biggest things that I think we should do. From a bigger picture perspective, I think you should, I know you should do an annual employee engagement survey. Um, you need data. You need to a, a, a survey your associates to understand how are they experiencing your culture, your workplace. And you need to measure engagement, not satisfaction, not the best places to work surveys, engagement. Um, and there's statistically validated questions that measure this because employee engagement, as you all learned in Bling, I mean, that's the ultimate dependent variable. That's what, that's what builds engaged customers or disengaged customers, which either makes you money or doesn't. So we need to measure that and then just understand at a big picture level, what's working and what's not working in action plan around that. That from a big picture perspective will provide you air coverage, as I use air quotes, to help harness you know, everybody to stick around. But then I also recommend, at least on an annual basis, that you should conduct stay interviews with your A-level players, maybe even your B-level players, or if, you're, if you're willing to make the investment, maybe everybody, but definitely your A and B players. And this is basically just a structured set of questions that you ask these people on an annual or you know, twice a year basis to kind of assess what is their flight risk. And it, it also gives them an opportunity to say, yeah, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, here's where I'd, how I'd like to see my career grow with Bland and Associates. And my favorite question in the stay interview, and the very first one that I lead off with is, all right, Ashley, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is none of it and 10, 10 is all of it, how much of your total potential are you currently using in your role here at Bland and Associates? And it's such an amazing question, so powerful. <laughs> And the first time you ask your people it, they're just going to look at you like, what are you asking me? Because they've never been asked a question like that before. But it's so powerful because obviously you're listening for high numbers. But if you hear a six or lower, that's a person now saying to you, I've got a whole lot of potential that you haven't tapped into. And so like, if I ask that question to Kaylee and Kaylee says five, I'm like, whoa, all right, Kaylee, what you're telling me only using 50% of your potential here. What, what, what potential do you have that I'm not tapping into? And it just leads to better, deeper, more robust coaching conversations um, for the both of us. So those are the two things you, you've got to be doing to, to make sure that talent you worked so hard to acquire and engage and build doesn't leave you. Um, well, let's change gears just a little bit, but not really. So Bland offers a program called Bling, which stands for Leadership Institute for the Next Generation, which is an 18-month-long leadership program, which was established to develop Bland's leaders. Um, and you happen to be the leader, coach, and trainer. So what impact do you think Bling has on Bland and its staff? Well, instead of just telling you what I think, I'm just telling you what the evaluations say. 
So obviously we do an evaluation after every session and we actually do a success lab, which is where we start session off with a review of the learnings from the previous session. And we say, based on the learnings, what leadership impact have you made here at Bland and Associates? So between all of this data, here's what people are saying. One, we use that talent assessment in the program. They love learning about themselves. And here's a fact, adult, we are not as self-aware as we think we are. So Bland giving the participants the opportunity to learn what their strengths and weaknesses are is just so fulfilling based upon the input here. And it also, it builds their confidence. People are like, wow, yes, everybody is different. And yes, that's okay. And yes, Bland wants me to bring my unique contribution to the organization every single day. Because that's the goal of any good development initiative is authenticity. I can't rewire anybody's brain. So let's figure out who we are and be as much of that as possible. And then, you know, there's just lots of other key learnings in there. Like people love the platinum rule. You know, we love to bust conventional management wisdom in that program. A lot of people think that you should use the golden rule. Well, I don't want to be treated the way Kaylee wants to be treated. I want to be treated the way Jeremy wants to be treated. So we teach the, the leadership use the platinum rule with people, right? The other thing that people are saying here is, you know, it's helped me be more efficient with my people when we taught them the toll booth, mm-hmm. right? How to, how to you know, solve for their own problems and so that they don't have to bother their boss or how, they, how that's a great way to empower their people but not feel like you're dumping everything on them. Um, people said, you know, it's pushed me outside of my, t- my comfort zone, which I normally wouldn't have done by myself. But again, it's all in the spirit of authenticity. It's not in the spirit of trying to change somebody with who they are. And then there's another section in there where we, we do an exercise on what are your biggest challenges in the workplace. And the number one thematic thing that came out of the Bling sessions, as well as other sessions I do is, you know, just working with different personalities. So we have a series of exercises that basically helps them learn about all of these different styles. And they're like, that is so refreshing to understand why I get frustrated with certain people and other people I don't. And I need to get done, get over that frustration and learn to appreciate those differences so that we can yin and yang as an effective team. So that's the impact it's, it's had. And when they do their presentations, I really challenge them to not only think about what were their key learnings, but how did they impact, how did those key learnings impact them themselves? their team and bland as a whole. And we've had people testify, you know, it's created better group dynamics. Um, I probably prevented people from quitting because I didn't blow emotionally blow up like I used to. So, you know, and that's, that's helping bland make money because we're not causing people to turn over, which we talked about earlier. So expensive. So a lot of different positive outcomes that it's had in the firm. Absolutely. And I, I mean, your passion for this topic just comes across in every response. And you've obviously spent a lot of time and effort to develop your knowledge in this area. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeremy, why you enjoy conducting bling and other leadership trainings and seminars. My passion and my mission is to be the bridge between science and practice. So, you know, when I was getting my doctorate, all the, all of my committee members were like, you need to be a researcher. You need to be an academic. And I'm like, I have appreciate what you guys do, but I love working with people like you two, right? People who are actually out there doing the work and leading people. And a lot of people in the accounting world, or actually even outside of the accounting world, most people go to school to be a technical expert in their field of interest. But as they grow with the organization, we expect them to be leaders and do things like coaching and provide constructive feedback and, build, and, and you know guide people. And they don't know how to do it. 
And it's not because they're bad people or because they're not smart, because they are very smart. They just don't know how to do it. So the opportunity to help people understand who they are and be, be that authentic person every day, do what they do best and see how it makes such an impact on them themselves and, and the others. It's just, I can't believe I get paid to do what I do, to be honest with you. It's I accidentally found this field and I was like, you can use psychology. Like I, I appreciate clinical psychologists, but I don't want to know what's wrong with people. Mm-hmm. I love <laughs> like find out what's right with somebody and help them be the best. So that's why I just, I started studying it and I've never stopped. And then I found out a way to pragmatically apply it to the workplace. Absolutely amazing. And just to see people's reactions to it. I, like I said, can't believe I get paid to do this. I'm so excited. I got picked or chosen to be one of the next blingers. So I'm so excited to see what this can do for myself as well as help the firm. So I guess I'll switch gears one more time. I'm the switching gears gal, but um, working from home (laughs) these days seems to be like the new normal, at least for now. Um, And I know our firm has consulted with you regarding working from home when the pandemic just first hit. Do you have any tips for identifying how you're um, your staff are truly handling it or if there are any lessons learned from companies you've talked to that you think would be helpful to other companies? Yeah, you know, this is just an ongoing area of investigation. I mean, I, I'm doing research on it every day. I was just on the phone before this with another association. They're like, you know, when this first hit, I was working with your firm and other firms on like, okay, let's, how do we start making people feel comfortable in this new environment started working on okay let's start thinking about bringing everybody back in the fall now we're looking at okay what's it going to look like in june you know january we just don't know there's so much ambiguity Mm -hmm. um so i think the best thing to do is keep, keep in front of your people communicate 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 breaks my heart i have this one client in Pennsylvania and the managing partner is stepping up outside of his comfort zone and sending communications to his people every week, just kind of what's going on. And his fellow partners are making fun of him saying that soft waste of time. And I'm like, that is so that they really think this because right now what's going on inside employees brains and even leaders brains, they're like, what's going on? What is going to happen? Do I have a sense of safety? both psychologically, ethically, emotionally. So what we need to be doing is just keep a finger on the pulse, keep communicating with your people. And this is something else I've told my clients is, you may or may not know it right now, but you are significantly impacting your future talent pipeline. And what I mean by that is, your people don't even know that they're paying attention to this. But when this is all past us, our employees are gonna reflect back on this and they're gonna think about how your firm treated them. And if you're out there in front of them, constantly being in touch and communicating with them, they're going to be like, you know what? They really cared. They really stepped up and you're creating a more loyal workforce. You're reducing turn of flight risks. The flip side of that is if you're using this as an advantage to, you know, make some sort of unfair economic advantage, or you're not paying attention to their psychological, emotional, and all those needs, then you're creating a flight risk because when the grass gets greener they're going to see it and they they might jump ship so that's my first piece of advice is just keep talking to your people even if you don't know stuff tell them they love that authenticity they love that transparency um and then the other piece is yeah just continuously like get feedback from them like okay when and if it 
it's time to come back. How would you feel most comfortable doing that? What are you, what are you most nervous about professionally, personally? Give them that, 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 that safe platform. And then, you know, just stay in touch with like me or other associations where we're just constantly doing research. All right, you know, we're gonna do a webinar on how do you lead effective virtual meetings. Um, the other thing that I'm working a lot with clients on is how do you maintain or build this idealistic culture that you want and need to have? Like I have this firm in San Francisco right now. They've spent so much time pre-pandemic on creating this awesome culture. Well, now they're all virtual. Like literally everybody's virtual. Next year, their lease is up. They're like, we're not going to take as much space. Go to a more of a hoteling model. And they're like, Jeremy, we're really nervous about losing that culture. So I'm working with them very closely on how do we make that in-office culture and how do we make the virtual environment an extension of the in-person culture? So that's another thing that I would be challenging people to think about is what are we doing to make sure it's not Jekyll and Hyde, but it's an, it's an extension. Yeah, that's, yeah, so that's good. a hard thin line to walk, I feel like sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you, Jeremy. How has COVID impacted you? You used to visit us and do a lot of in-person training and just tell us about what your life is like now. I took ibuprofen right before this because my jaw hurts <laughs> much all day. Because that's interesting, you know, like when I'm working with you guys in person and stuff, I get a lot more downtime because I get to pause more. You guys are doing in-person sessions. On Zoom, man, you just, you talk so much more. Even though I have the ability to do breakout rooms and stuff, it's just, the jaw literally hurts. Um, so I'm doing a lot of stuff virtual. Um, all these conferences that I go speak at, they've gone virtual or been canceled. Uh, I was just on the phone with that association earlier. They're coming up with a very, very avant-garde way of doing their virtual conference so that it's not a typical Zoom. I am still traveling. I started traveling back in June. Um, so nice to get back on an airplane. I love it. Uh, Aww. Back to a normal. A little bit. A little. It's sad, though. You walk through the airports and you see how many people are out of work. It's, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you from when I tra- first traveled in June to last week when I was flying, um, a lot more people are out there. So it's feeling good to feel a little bit more of a sense towards normal. Um, but here's the other thing I've learned is my leadership development participants during this pandemic have been very understanding of the remote, the, the remote medium of training. That said, we've always known this from a research perspective, leadership development training is always done better. It's always better in person. And that is something we're seeing in the evaluations that supports the, the research. Sure. People love this stuff and they're okay with it being virtual now just because of the nature of the circumstances. But when it comes time to train people, you do it in person because it's so intense and there's so much, you guys learn more from each other than you do me in the bling sessions. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how it's impacted me and the participants. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Well, Dr. Wortman, thank you so much for coming on today. You've just shared so much insightful advice and it's nice because Ashley and I get to have, we've heard this before and so it's always just so fun to have that refresher and for those of our listeners that might seem overwhelming, I know sometimes when I hear all these great ideas, I'm like, everything sounds good. Where do I start? We can put you in touch with Dr. Wortman and, and you can start somewhere. And that's, I mean, it's all about chipping away and, and, 
crossing things off the list to work on your culture and your hiring practices and your retention. There's, um, there, there, there can be a plan and there's resources out there to help people. So we don't want you to feel overwhelmed by any means. It's just, um, it's just getting started somewhere. So um, we'll put Dr. Wartman's contact information in our show notes. Um, otherwise, you can certainly reach out to Ashley or I with any questions. But Dr. Wartman, thank you again. I just love yes, hearing your you. advice. So. Thanks for having me. Love working with you guys. Absolutely. Likewise. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast today, please visit our website at www.blandcpa.com and leave us a note. We'd also be very grateful if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever app you use to listen to the podcast. Lastly, check out our Instagram and give us a like. So friends, with that, be informed, be inspired, and be awesome.